You're tuning in to a Patreon-exclusive segment of Oats for Breakfast. In this segment, we're going to be continuing the discussion we were having about the HBO series Chernobyl. My name is Lena. I'm Brent. And my name is Olina. Okay, so I guess we can pick up our conversation kind of where we left off. Um, I think we should maybe touch on the fact that uh, Gorbachev was let off the hook a bit in the series. Um, our producer, Umer, is telling us to inform everyone who Gorbachev is. Everyone knows who Gorbachev is. He's the guy with the birthmark on his head. <laughs> on his forehead. He's in The Simpsons. He's Gorbachev the was elected general secretary by the yeah, sort of Politburo. Yeah, I mean, within. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah, within the party. He was elected. Within the party. Um, oh, yeah, he was, within the party. <laughs> he's the general secretary. He's the last leader of the Soviet Union. So he oversaw the fall of the Soviet Union and blamed it on Chernobyl. He's also the guy, whenever he comes on the on television, my grandma turns it off or ch- switches the channel. He is often blamed for the fall of the Soviet Union, his policies of uh, perestroika and glasnost, um, which mean restructuring and transparency. Um, he sort of opened up a little bit uh, the free market, private enterprise. A little bit? Yes. Wasn't it like neoliberal shock therapy? Not yet. That comes oh. after the fall of the Soviet Union in the early 90s with Yeltsin, right? After the fall right, of the right. Soviet Union. But Gorbachev sort of is opening up the Soviet Union. He's meeting with Western leaders, etc., etc., right? Um, and he is finishing the Afghan war. Right. Right. So that's not mentioned at all, of course, in the series. But I thought it was interesting that he really didn't get much um, FaceTime. You know, he wasn't really central. He was mostly portrayed as this kind of... Kind of sympathetic. Yeah. And actually much more understanding than most party officials, right? He was... um, Anything that uh, Sherbina asked of him, he was sort of like, okay, you can have it. And there wasn't much uh, convincing. Yes. And of course, it's interesting the way that they, the creators... um, place him in opposition to the older party apparatchiks, right? Um, He's the new wave. He's the new face of the Soviet Union. It's changing, right? And this is stuff that happened before. Mm. This is uh, reflective of the Soviet Union in its previous, you know, state. And he's now opening up to the West. So, of course, he doesn't receive much criticism. That's interesting, at least, right? Right. Whether or not that's intentional is interesting. Yeah, he's always got a face like uh, some revelation has just hit him. He's just like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? He's yeah. just like, hmm. Like, yeah, somebody, he's, he's a wise man. Cause he, no, he's... Well, according to these, the HBO writers. Mm. So um, how is this disaster any different from disasters that happen elsewhere? How does the state manage them in the United States or in Canada or in what is now called the Global South. Right, yeah, because the contrast is, is uh, the assumption is that like the Western state, um, which always sort of looms in the negative in this show, uh, is wouldn't, wouldn't succumb to these sorts of problems of disaster management, would be transparent, uh, right. would be capable, would have the capacity to manage this. I think the point is not just that. The point is that this kind of a disaster could not have happened in the United States. 
it would right. have already been it would have been avoided if only they didn't run those tests if only they listened right. if only you know they were more so, careful so it's right? not just the managing right it's the avoiding it in the first place preventing something like this from happening right. because human life is worth a lot in the United States and in Canada even though know. even though we're just learning right that um, the US actually did uh, test nuclear bombs in Nevada, I think, and uh, they exposed all of these workers to radioactive fallout. And we're just learning these things, right? There's other moments that we can point to. We also said there's Fukushima and there was a nuclear, nuclear disaster there. There's other moments we can point to where these things have happened and they haven't really been, um, I guess, sort of so closely tied to the operations of the state how it operates how it works it's sort of seen as well just that an accident right yes and and what would a private enterprise or free market economy right that the soviet union doesn't have and perhaps that's one critique right that if only there was private enterprise if only there was more independence from the state right in terms of the economy as well um, knowledge etc knowledge production so what would happen if there was what happens in the U.S.? How does that element change things? But which is ironic because it's often the it has been the over the past forty years uh, with privatization that in Western states you've had the most issues in terms of large scales uh, disaster management issues. So, like here in Ontario, the Walkerton case in Walkerton, Ontario where the privatization of the water management system led to E. coli being leaked and led to poisoning of the water supply, right? You think of Grenfell in the UK. It was like a social housing, um, subsidized housing, which was left to a private company, which did things as cheaply as possible. Um, and right, so they which, opted for the flammable over the non-flammable cladding that went on the side right, of the building. Right, which led to, yeah, an unspeakable horror. So, like, yeah. But even when we, it's not about only thinking about, like, disaster management, right? Or, like, catastrophes, right? But even daily life, for instance, privatization of water um, in South Africa, right? Um, what that does to your daily living and social reproduction, mm. right? Isn't that also state policy, isn't that also intentional? There's, I just want to mention, there's also the example of Grassy Narrows. And I know that yes. people in Toronto in particular have been talking a lot about that recently. Um, but a uh, chemical plant uh, dumped mercury, 9,000 kilograms of mercury, into a river that was close by a reserve, right? Mm. And the, the responsibility of both the company that did the dumping and the state is unclear. And so it's just been left unmanaged. And these people are suffering the effects effects of that, and we're not really sure which way to go. Right? Uh, you know, the, I, I believe the Ontario government at some point promised that they would actually um, orchestrate some kind of cleanup, but that hasn't happened. But they've since, yeah, ignored um, right those protests and organizations. Yeah, I was wondering what was happening to that the other day. Yeah, there's also the example of Flint, Michigan, exactly. right? With right. Uh, once again a question of just neglect, right? Well, well we, it's a case. It's a case in the United States, right? Which is supposedly, which you know, should be able to manage it more properly because it's a liberal democratic society. There's more openness, right? So and in Canada happening? as well, right? But yeah, and the cost of um, the worth, the value of life, or the worth, right, is much higher supposedly. 
than in the Soviet Union. Yeah, it's like the state doesn't value life's lives there as much as the Western state is the implication. It's the, right, or that I thought um, sort. it sort of came across that it was almost intentionally neglectful in the case of the Soviet Union, whereas, you know, sort of in Canada and the U.S. and in other examples, uh, it's mostly a problem of like, either execution or just of the numbers or the cost. And we can talk about um, human life in those terms and somehow that's okay, right? We can talk about, well, how much will it cost to, you know, orchestrate a cleanup? And that's an appropriate response to the loss of human life or the continued poisoning of a population, right? And somehow it's not really represented in the same sort of conspiracy theory terms Mm -hmm. that we get when we talk about places like the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a scientific, we just didn't know, or we didn't know the effects of this and that, and that's why this happened, you know? So it absolves us of any responsibility. It's science, you know? We're only learning now that this had the effect, right? Whereas there, it's it's portrayed as more intentional, as right. absolutely, and as the, Lena said. Yeah, the state's responsibility is unclear, right? Even in this case, when we talk about something like grassy nerves, yes. what is the state's responsibility? And we're still supposedly trying to figure out that line, right? Is the company that did the dumping responsible for the cleanup? Is it the state, uh, you know, that has some sort of obligation to these people? Um, and, you know, we, we talk about the sort of, um, you know, far-reaching hands of the state when it came to Chernobyl and the aftermath and all of this, but what about the responses, right? One in which the response did actually take place. They were responsible for both the mess and for the aftermath of that mess and what happens in our liberal democracies. Yes, yeah, so maybe the the point is not that is is not um, whether the state is there involved perme- permeating every level, you know, every sphere of life like the economy etc. Um, it's still there just the, the form changes, right? So it's not the extent, but the form. I don't know. I just don't know how to read the state in this. I really, the more I think about it, the more I realize, like I'm, the more I think this is more uh, just a, a really a critique of populism. Can you expand on that, Brent? I don't think the HBO writers and producers are saying we really need to take a shot at the Soviet Union right now. You know, I, I think, they if I think of them as sort of, you know, well-off, liberal, middle-class, blue blue state, sort of Democrat voters, Hillary supporters, you know, who are they taking a shot at ideologically? But does it need to be explicit? It doesn't need to be explicit. Does it need to be intentional in in terms of... Yeah, I also don't think that it has to be intentional. I also think that the story, the narrative can be written. I think the critiques of the Soviet Union may actually come across more unintentionally exactly and that because is more of scary, all of the things that it? yeah yeah that we just living in liberal democratic societies sort of right and that, internalize exactly there's a baggage that, when there's, there's, a, there's a baggage a that comes that somehow i think that's the internalization they have of that the soviet union was cheap right they didn't have the level of economic development to sort of compete with i think that's what that is yeah so what is the solution then what do you brand see the the sort of alternative that that the creators are, want us to see, right? Is is it private enterprise that capital would have done better? You know, if there was a bit more freedom for the economy, and there that then they wouldn't be so cheap if there was some competition. See, I don't think it's saying any of that. No, I think I think it's more hypocrisy. 
And I think they're not even realizing the hypocrisy of their own situation as liberal centrists, sort of. And you know, none of you know, Roland Barthes, death of the author. None of this has to be explicit. They don't have to to know right. this. But uh, what was I going to say? Um, they're not making the critique of the Soviet economic system. They're making the critique of fake news. You know, the discourse of fake news. Blah blah blah. They're making the critique of populism of taking liberties with the truth. Well, blah, what's blah, blah, interesting blah. about populism, because again, Gorbachev is no populist in this in this uh, series. I know. So I that's don't think it's populism. Rev- yeah, that's why, because he, he ended the Soviet Union. I know, but I don't think it's a critique of populism. I don't think the Soviet Union operated on populism, really, for the but last that's the thing. after... But that's the thing, it's not about the Soviet Union. That's mm-hmm. the thing, right? It's about what is the contemporary political landscape. But there was no populism in the show. They're, they're in the using show. the Soviet Union. Why was the populism? No, he's saying to make a critique of populism. Sure, sure. But where did example. they see the pop? Like, where did you see the populism in the show that was then, you know, critiqued? In, in all the untruths that are circulating because through the Soviet system. Because I don't see that as necessarily system, populist. That they're, that, they're, that they're positing, right? They're saying all these untruths But why is that this. populist? It's populist because, uh, like, I don't know. Because it's like the... Can someone else help me out here? No, because I don't think it's populist. It is populist in the sense that populism populism is equated with almost pure ideological position. And the liberals have taken the position that we are the experts, we represent expert culture. So when Donald Trump calls CNN fake news, Mm -hmm. right? Because all these objective news sources from the liberal perspective. I know, I know. Liberals equate themselves with objectivity, right? And always representing this expert culture. This expert culture, which was hegemonic until 2008. I agree, I agree. But I think there's a conflation between, for you here, between populism and state power and totalitarianism. Because I think rather than populism, it's totalitarianism. What's the worry with Trump? But in the show. be populist. But in the show... I think it's more a critique of totalitarianism and big state, big state rather than somebody like Lula in, See, in I don't, Brazil. I don't That's a that. populist leader. Putin is a populist leader, maybe. But here it's a critique of big state and state led everything. <laughs> I think the explicit critique is of populism. I think that's what they have in their minds when they say, what is the cost of lies? They have in their minds sticking up for the objective press, sticking up for the liberal center, sticking up against Donald Trump and a sort of very ideological taking liberties with the, uh, with the truth approach, which they project onto Donald Trump. I think there is obviously some implicit background ideology, um, about the Soviet Union, right? Like critiques. But like, I, I don't think when they're trying to think about their messaging, and I don't know how explicit this is, they're not that worried about the Soviet Union. They're not worried about um, communist totalitarianism raise, like rearing its head again. But can you really, can you truly separate the critique of untruth from how people view yeah, I don't the think Soviet so. Union? I feel like that's the part that for me doesn't quite fit. It's like, can we really talk about abstract, like, you know, the danger is untruth, but why not think of it as people see and understand the Soviet Union to be the sort of... um like the greatest example of that untruth, right? It's the almost greatest assumed. example. But now the Soviet Union is f- 
is is in service of a critique of populism. Whereas if this was a critique of, if this was a Cold War film, it would be very much explicit. A Cold War film is like Brazil. I don't know if you've ever seen Brazil. Brazil is about bureaucracy gone run amok, right? It's a critique very clearly of over-bureaucratic systems and all the irrationalities this leads to. This is a different political context. Perhaps the critique just isn't as sophisticated. Yeah, and maybe it's more contradictory. And we are also now, you know, trying to read into it more than they were, you know, intentionally trying to me, For me, one of the things I thought about when um, watching this show, and so immediately after I watched Chernobyl, I watched um, Ava DuVernay's miniseries on the Central Park Five. So those were the uh, five young black and Latino boys in New York City who were accused of the rape and violent beating of this Central Park jogger. Um, but I often think about the reception to that show. So I'll, like, I'll just bracket what took place in that miniseries, but the reception to it. So, I mean, a lot of that miniseries focuses on, let's say, the same general themes, right? Truth, lies, the, you know, the role of cover-ups that and how that plays into the system and the state and all of this, okay? But the reception that that show has gotten has been pretty bad. If you think about who's involved in producing Chernobyl and you think about their critique as sort of more abstract and not just about the Soviet Union, and people have really responded well to that, right? The show has great ratings, great views, all of those things. And you look at something that came out at the exact same time and the reception in the U.S. has actually been quite bad, right? The reception of the telling of these boys' stories has been pretty bad. People are unhappy with this view of the state and the police as corrupt, right? As involved in cover-ups, as involved in lies. What do you think is the reason for the different reactions? I have a bit of an interest, a different take. (laughs) Brent's seen it too. Okay, Brent, (laughs) you talk. Go ahead. I was just thinking about it. And I think that show is also kind of liberal. You're not wrong in saying that it's liberal. Of course it's liberal. I mean, it's also a Netflix series, right? And there's a certain kind of critique that's going to be accepted, right? And this one Mm -hmm. is also Mm -hmm. a critique that right now is hot and people want to talk about race issues. And so they are going to let uh, Ava make her show about the Central Park Five. But I mean, whether it's liberal or not for me is not so much uh, where I want to sort of focus on it because they are both liberal shows so it's for me it's an interesting contrast and the reception is the interesting part right so even though they are both liberal in their critiques i think ava duvernay doesn't even go that far to say that all cops are bad right i don't think that that's present in the show it's more like this is what african americans have had to deal with in the united states so she's not making that kind of critique but still the reception was a bad one it's it upsets a narrative that we have in the West that, you know, we have this kind of impartiality, the, you know, there's an objectivity in the courts and that, you know, even though people might make mistakes, it's not something institutionalized. So we don't have to worry about it on that level, right? We don't have to worry about mismanagement like that. But of course, in the Soviet Union, we definitely do. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, the Soviet Union is taken as a... It's easy to make an example out of something like that and not at home. Right. I mean, at home, it's just complicated. It's so complicated. And, and there, there, it's simple. Like, it's simple. It's right? very simple. Yeah. 
but I think, and you know, I disagree with you guys on this. I think the, all that racism and all that stuff that would happen in the Soviet state too. You know, it happened in the USSR. I'm sure it did. I mean, but okay, but Brent, there's a there's a distinct there's a distinctly is different a separation history. between. I think there's a different there's history a, of race a different and history, racialization uh, yeah. here. Absolutely different that we cannot even compare. There's in no the same racism way. in the Soviet. No, but it's not about that. There, it's race not about is not racism. conceptualized in the same way. I think, and I think it's not as scientific. And 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 you know, I mean, sorry, but the history of the slave trade is, doesn't happen in the Soviet, like, it doesn't happen in the Soviet okay. Union, obviously. I don't know, I don't know. But of course there is, there's definitely... I mean, the U.S.'s relationship to race is one that is... Yeah. It, it can't be separated, it can't be separated yeah. from not, the formation and, of the United and States. And so. And the liberal courts, which have often worked towards that end, right? But what I'm saying is the point that's being made in Chernobyl is slightly different in terms of the separation of the party in power and the judiciary, Right, which is a bit different than systemic racism. But the separation between... Which exists. Independent judiciary, though, in is US, what's interesting. In Spades. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, but I think the, in, the, the point of independent judiciary is what Lena is talking about too, right? Is that it's not so independent from a certain interest, right? Whether it's the state or whether it's something else right, in the so US. Can we, can we even say, like, let's bracket the this uh when they see us but do you think that today uh asylum seekers who go in front of a u.s court don't also have to uh face uh you know the u.s state and what it believes to be true and untrue i mean can we really separate what happens with like today's asylum claims from what the trump administration wants or before it i don't not know. only the trump administration we can ask the same things of the obama administration for sure yeah absolutely I don't think the the problem with a country like um, maybe even like China, modern day China, is you have the party in power getting directly involved in court cases. I think if you want to talk about an ideal constitutional order, right, in something that you're striving towards, you do not want that. As socialists, we need to not only just critique existing institutions, but also think about Alternatives. Alternatives. Yes. And what we would want. And this is why this is a very interesting comparison between the two series, because it seems like the other is not such a good alternative. What they try to portray as, an, as a good alternative to the Soviet system also turns out to be not yes. a very great alternative in their I mean, the, own the, the, home. The narrative, you know? the narrative here is often that, well, it, it we can't be as bad as over there. We can't be as bad as that. Something like that couldn't happen here, right? Because we have more checks and balances. We have these separations. And so we can at least, you know, we can at least feel safe knowing that those things exist. So for for that to be contrasted with the problems we have here, right? And what's a little bit closer to home and hits a little bit closer to home is interesting, right? And so how people react to those those critiques and those criticisms is also indicative of, you know, the ideological atmosphere. I don't know. You know, like it's it's hard to se- it's hard to separate those things. Yeah, it's very it's easy rosy, it's very easy for this yeah. guy to like read a book Rose about Chernobyl. Glasses. Yeah. It's very easy for that guy to read a book about Chernobyl and of course like it doesn't have to be explicit. He doesn't have to be making an explicit critique of the Soviet Union, but there is so much baggage that comes with talking about it that he's making this show and you know it can be a general sort of liberal take on the problem with, you know, uh, lies and corruption and all of that. And once that's sort of reflected back onto us and people want to look at, 
you know, what's under our own curtain. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not as nice. But also, is that, is Chernobyl supposed to make us feel better? Oh, you know, we have these checks and balances, like you said. So we're good. We're safe, right? We, we by, by watching that, we're like, oh, God, thank goodness we live here in such a safe space. It's a free country, blah, 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 you know? Um, yeah, I think so. I think there's that. Well, I think it's also a critique save liberal of, democracy. of Trump's like interference in the court system. Yes, but also save liberal democracy, right? Like you were saying, too. But like Alina said, it is it only Trump who interferes in the court no. system? Or is it... Is that something that's a long-standing practice? Like, we have to make a separation between the Chinese state and judicial system and the judicial... Like, Let's talk about the Chinese state in, a, in another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Let's just talk about the Soviet Union and, you know... In Chernobyl, they were also making a critique of the the lack of separation between the courts and the Soviet state. Yes. Right? In that courtroom no, and scene. and the parties. I know, but yeah, yeah. you cannot party. separate that. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, you can. I'm sorry. In, I, the, in the Soviet Union, you can't separate the state and the party. It's the same well, thing. Well, maybe that's a problem. Maybe, the, maybe that is. Maybe that's a problem. But, but fine. But in the United States, there's two parties. And why are they acting in the same way? So... The last thing I'll say is just that if you have yet to see Chernobyl or if you just finished watching it, you should watch uh, When They See Us, that Netflix series. I agree. Try and think about some of the things that we've been talking (laughs) about and a little bit of the parallels. But um, yeah, so thanks for listening to this Patreon exclusive segment of Oats for Breakfast. And thanks for being a patron of the podcast. We really appreciate your support. And we'll see you next time when we talk about China.